future, talk radio will actually educate, inspire, and make you think. The future is now. Topics and music that affect your life from Universal Broadcasting Network. Tune in at ubnradio.com. She's passionate about telling stories of amazing women who are rocking the world and empowering women to live, love, and thrive. Here's your host, Katherine Gray. Welcome to Live, Love, Thrive, Women's Empowerment Hour, brought to you by 360karma.com. I'm excited. I have two brilliant women on today. First, we're going to talk with Mindy Friedman. She's the founder of the SAM Initiative, which basically helps uh, women collectively give to help empower philanthropic projects. And then later in the show, we're going to have Michelle Basso. She is a UCLA scientist, uh, professor, and speaker. So we'll talk to her a little bit later. First up, Please welcome Mindy Friedman. Hi, Mindy. Hi. How are you? Thank you for having me. Oh, you bet. Uh, you are doing some incredible work, um, and I can't wait for us to talk about it. Um, you have come up with the concept of the idea that, sure, someone could give, you know, to uh, a nonprofit that they feel, you know, um, especially emphatic about. But what you're doing is putting together women to give them the power of being able to really make even more of a difference by getting the group together, having them put in their donations to uh, gather. So instead of, say, a person gives a a nonprofit $2,500, collectively they can give $50,000 or $100,000 and really make a big impact. Yes. So I think that is so cool. And we're going to talk about how and where you got the idea to do this. Okay. Uh, But first of all, uh, I I know, uh, tell us, you know, a little bit about your background. Okay. Yeah. Um, By the way, your your description of a giving circle was really well done. Um, I, I, my whole background, I, I actually um, have always been interested in helping others Mm -hmm. and um, came up I had a very strong um, interest in entre- on entrepreneurial and yeah. businesses, but really when I went to school for mm-hmm. um, international affairs and Spanish, and I kind of learned about what was going on in the world, and then I went back to school for a um, degree in international public administration mm-hmm. and Spanish. Was this in Colorado? or yeah. yeah, and then I went up um, to Northern California for um, a master's in public administration and Spanish. And that is the moment that I learned about um, micro lending, right? Which is basically was this idea of helping somebody help themselves, um, help them with a small loan so that they could start a micro business. I always like that, that analogy of uh, rather than give someone a fish, right, teaching Mamonides. them to fish. It's right. Maimonides, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was that idea, and it, it kind of bridged for me my entrepreneurial background. With this, with this idea of helping somebody, it made right. sense to me. Right, right. And so I love that. I my, love that combination. Yeah, yeah. So this was twenty something years ago yeah. in the early nineties, and I did my thesis work in in rural Honduras, and basically I was there to um, evaluate the impact of micro lending loans on women. Really, now you, really poor. Now women. you just went to Honduras and started doing this. No, so yeah. so you did this through what program? Well, this was through my the 
through my university had set it up with a local nonprofit in oh, Honduras cool. and working with women that literally lived on mile marker three, mile marker four, women wow. with, you know, a $50 loan. And so, uh, where did you stay when you worked there? Like, what was that like? Oh, um, I stayed at one of the local promoters, one of the women that worked for the nonprofit. Oh. She housed me and I had a cold shower. And yeah. <laughs> was that like a mind blowing experience? Yeah. 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 I mean, life, I, life changing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I lived abroad in, in college for a year in Spain. And so I had some, but to live in a developing country was, yeah, that really was quite, and, like and I, from then I went and actually lived in El Salvador for a while. I lived in Nicaragua. Wow. Um, Peru was my longest assignment through um, the U.S. Agency for International Development. Oh my gosh. All with micro lending. But the idea was this idea of helping somebody help themselves. Mm -hmm. And I found, I just was, when I saw what a $50 loan could do for a woman yeah. so that she could raise pigs and then sell the pigs in the market, I was just blown away. And I this right. was this was a while ago, you know, and I had come back all excited and I thought, you know, I'm ready not to travel anymore and work abroad and I want to see what's happening in my town in Los Angeles where yeah. I'm born and raised. And I came back and I, I looked around and... I didn't see that kind of model here. Right. That is that is yeah, surprising. I saw a more traditional model of helping people with immediate needs. Or also in the US I've always felt like they only lend money to people that don't need it. Yeah. So yeah. here you're talking micro lending is actually lending money to people that do need it. Right. But we didn't have we don't have we we're just starting to see that here in yeah, the US twenty years later. It, right. it is. It's just starting. Yeah. And it, the model hasn't changed much from when it was first created in mm -hmm. the nineteen seventies by Muhammad Yunus. Oh, um, that's who created it? Yeah. Oh, who and, is that? Yeah, oh, he was this yeah. brilliant, brilliant a model where he it was this giving these micro loans but using each other as collateral. So a group of women um, and women, as you know, in many, many countries, are, they have the productive role, the reproductive role, and the economic role and right. in the family. So um, they... Oh, same as here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so they would... Um, it's The model is basically... It's just really beautiful because yeah. you get some of your friends or your family, and it's a... If, each person gets the loan. Yeah. And if you don't repay your loan, no one else gets the loan, gets another loan. So oh. you use each other as collateral. It's the model is it has different variations depending right. on which countries, but it seems to work really well when you have a homogeneous right. um, where you at least you know you It almost sounds like the beginnings of crowdfunding. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. Kind Actually, of. That's a good point. Kind of an offshoot of that. Yeah. And I, it was done informally. Yeah. You know, in a lot of Latin American countries would do it, and they called it juntas, where they mm -hmm. would just all combine, they'd all put in $100 and they'd give $1,000 to one woman. Wow. Now, where was this started? What, what this, the, the official mod, you know, it was started in Bangladesh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. In the 1970s. But when I came back to the United States, excited about not just about micro loan lending, but the the idea of helping somebody help themselves and now, empowerment. You wrote, you wrote mm -hmm. a thesis on this, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And what I found interesting was that, you know, people might hear this and think, well, giving money to people that don't have it but need it, is that a successful business model? And I know you did a paper on this mm -hmm. to find out, well, is this successful? And and you come to find out, and I know it's known in, in research, a lot of research, that um, 
the majority of the time the loans are repaid. Yeah, they have a successful, like yeah. a success rate of 99.9. The one, the two that are happening right now in Los Angeles right. are at 99.9% repayment. Well, I hope they can improve that. No, yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> but the amount of women, yeah. I mean, they're most, mostly Latino women in, the, in this city that yeah. are um, doing it. And But what's really beautiful about the model, and I don't, you know, it's not all about this model, but what's yeah. so beautiful about this model is that eventually the women not only have savings, they have, um, they can employ their families, they um, and become bankable. And right. so there's a lot of relationships being forged with the formal banking system. Yeah. So now what they used to be part of the informal market, they're now moving over into the formal market, into the Wait formal. Wait a minute, you mean banks are doing like this so micro So they'll help these women now oh. open up an account where they wouldn't, they would do all their business transactions through a 7-Eleven. Oh. And now they actually have a savings account in Wells Fargo. Or, wow. And so the, uh, this particular model, which is here in LA, the Grameen Bank, but they are, they are forging relationships with local banks to. Uh, oh, that's really yeah. cool. So now, it's, it's exciting for me, though, after all these years to see it finally emerging yeah. here in Los Angeles. And, and you're really doing two really great things. So yeah. we're going to talk about both of them. Yeah. So the this one that we're talking about, you've said, is called uh, social. Uh, enterprise. enterprise. Yeah. So social enterprise is this micro lending that you saw 20 years ago in your yeah. travels and, and work in Honduras and other yeah. uh, evolving countries um, that you saw it as a model that worked and your paper and research showed that this is a workable uh, formula. Well, and, and also yeah. a lot of my research was that there is a qualitative empowerment that I was it was measuring actually the empowerment of these kinds of loans on people's lives mm -hmm. and that was what I is the hardest thing to show a donor sometimes mm -hmm. because yes. you can say there's a 99% repayment on a loan right but to say that you've actually changed someone's life is a little bit of a harder right um, so the indicators of empowerment were testing those yeah. indicators was really my emphasis but and, and most of these were for women right yes yes yeah. exactly right exactly. which is just that underserved market so it's really Really cool right. that this micro lending focus has really been on women. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and even because back they're then. so committed to their families. Right. Yeah. And social enterprise is not just micro lending, it's also all these nonprofits that are emerging in our own city. Right. Of, that are looking yeah. at income generating. There's some really great examples um, of organizations that are looking at income generating activities to help with their sustainability as an organization right. and now, ultimately the, empower the benefit the people they serve now i know one of the ones that you mentioned was um la kitchen mm -hmm. now is la kitchen one of the ones that your groups have given to yeah, yeah. so um so last year we um we started SAM, which is the SAM initiative the SAM SE social enterprise and it was our first year uh, collaborating funds for that effort. And LA Kitchen was our first mm -hmm. um, recipient. And they're an incredible model. And we, they take, I mean, I, just to hear Robert Egger speak, I, you know, impale in comparison, but he so beautifully describes how he takes 
people who are very hard, you know, at risk of not getting, being able to get a job, like, people coming out of foster, out of the foster care system, out of prison, mm -hmm. taking food that would otherwise be thrown away, teaching them how to prepare healthy meals, and then and then securing contracts contracts for a senior population. Wow. So you're touching so many things and the income coming in off of that actually going back into the organization. Right. And that's just another example of social enterprise. But when we began um, the SAM initiative four years ago, this mm -hmm. will going into our fifth, our fifth giving cycle, the idea was to address and bring really to bring philanthropy um, to be an inspiration and sort of a catalyst not only to give, but to help um, people who want to give what's going on in the city and where we can have the most meaningful impact. And so it could be immediate right. needs. And this year, in so we're running the two giving circles, but in the original one, it's this year we're focusing on homelessness. So what I want to explain to people mm -hmm. is what the SAM initiative is. Yeah. So you decided <clears throat> that women... Uh, sometimes lack a little bit in their philanthropy they don't they don't you know first comes family and and right. and, the, and whatever other priorities they have but you want it to give women the power of being a part yeah. of making a difference yeah and your vision was that instead of just giving their one donation a mm hundred dollars or five hundred dollars or twenty five hundred dollars was to get a group of women together that want to make a difference and then you select different uh nonprofits for them to review mm -hmm. and then they collectively decide which one or two mm -hmm. they're going to give their collective money to yeah and then collectively they have 50 to a hundred thousand dollars collected to empower a philanthropic project exactly so and it get the the whole process yeah. of that from beginning to end so you're getting the women the the women the members of the giving circle involved in yeah. the process not only through nominations but also choosing the the genre you know is it this right. year's homelessness but then of those so we start with a fast pitch and we look at we look at let's say six or so and then mm -hmm. we vote how many will go forward of we could we do a pro grant proposal so the women review the proposals um, and their budgets and so it's a higher level of involvement mm -hmm. than just writing the check right and those that want to go on a site visit will even do a site visit and then we um, follow up with I the organization that. on questions on okay so you're looking for a grant of fifty thousand dollars for this so for example we funded a playground um, uh, at, for kids with on somewhere on the spectrum of autism it's oh. called the early childhood partial hospitalization program at UCLA and they needed $60,000 specifically to build this really cutting edge playground mm -hmm. that would address kids in early intervention from ages two to five and it's a hard thing to get funded, even at UCLA. Right. So they wrote to us. We went. We looked at the space, and it looked like a prison yard. Oh and uh, it was amazing. Nothing was on that space. And these kids were playing red light, green light in the hallways. They didn't mm -hmm. have an outdoor space. And um, because and so we looked at their proposal. We, we looked at the bids that they got for it. Mm -hmm. um, we got behind it. And then as a result, other donors then came into it too so it was able to leverage even bigger wow. and now they have a state-of-the-art playground that has 
elevated their status in helping this group of kids um, to kids. People come now all over to look at this, at what they're doing. You know, what I love about what you're doing that I think is so brilliant is that most people, they, they say, okay, well, I want to give to whatever, the Cancer Society or yeah. whatever. They write a check. They send it in. They never see or know how that impacted anything, really, not tangibly, you know. But what I love about what you're doing is, first, the women get together and have that camaraderie yeah. of talking about the different uh, options they have. They get to do the site visit and really mm -hmm. see and feel what's going on there, who's running it, what it's about. Yeah. Then they get to decide which one they're getting behind. Yeah. And then they actually get to see where their dollars go mm -hmm. and go back and see that they actually made a difference yeah. and that they made even more of a difference as a group than they could as a single yeah. and I, donation. I, I would say that that truly is the magic of what we do. Yeah. It's, I mean, I always say we have a dual mission. Mm -hmm. It's one is to have a meaningful impact in the community, mm -hmm. but the other is to inspire women to give and to feel a sense of ownership mm -hmm. and pride. Right. And these women, when they come and present, in fact, next week we'll be presenting um, our four finalists of who will get our funding. <laughs> so oh, cool. And to be in the room and the ownership that the women take, they really do. They work hard and there's tears and there's excitement. And of course, there's some disappointment as, as well. But that's the, the pride that they feel. I mm -hmm. always say that it, our investment, we don't get paid back in dollars. We get paid back in pride mm -hmm. um, because they really do have a sense of pride that we did that. We right. did that as a group. And and some I do have to say I have some members that I've never met. Yeah. They just love the idea of collaborative giving, knowing that their dollars will go farther. Yeah. And then there's some women that are very active. And yeah. I love the women. Um, I do, I do it because I love the women that have emerged in my mm -hmm. constellation of friends, uh, in constellation here. Yeah. Some of these women I, I never knew. And to see them emerge in leadership yeah. and um, on the board and taking an interest. In fact, many of them now serve on boards of some of the organizations oh we've edited. Oh wow, yeah. that's really cool. So even if an organization doesn't get the grant, yeah. oftentimes those who are on the due diligence committee will be on their board or or do something um, you know I have one of our members um, had a concert uh -huh. uh, piano um, her husband is a concert pianist and they just had a concert with friends and family oh. and they raised ten thousand dollars and gave it to um, one, of the, one of the organizations that didn't get a grant from us oh, I love but they that. just fell in love with them and so we do a great job of pooling charitable dollars and vetting and that's really what I see my mission as, is to inspire women to give, yeah. educate them about what's happening in our community. And homelessness, actually, this year is a, was a great subject for that's us to look at. One. But we're looking at ages, kids ages 12 to 24, mm -hmm. um, and adolescent, LGBT, and that population. So the women are getting quite an education right now in what's happening with that population and how... Um, it impacts in the how it plays out in homeless the homeless situation. So, well, you are definitely doing your calling. Thank you. Yeah, I'm very. I and love it. I yeah. love it. I love what I do. And you're really making such a difference. Thank you. Uh, Thank not you. only to the organizations, but to the women that are participating. Yeah. And uh, just so the audience is clear, 
they can become part of this. Yes. Uh, uh, if women want to be part of the giving circles, um, they would go to saminitiative.org. Yes. And they can find out about it and become a participant. And on Facebook, too. On Facebook, yeah. of course. <laughs> yes. And then the other is that you're doing giving circles now the new part is for the social enterprise yeah, which is really which, an exciting thing happening in the city and let's explain to everybody you know most nonprofits are three to 12 months from being out of business because they rely strictly yes. on charitable giving but what social enterprise does mm -hmm. is it makes it a business that the the nonprofit can sustain itself at least the training part at least yeah. some aspect of it that is some empowering the individuals it. that they serve right so that is what i am, am seeing as a it is become it is a trend that's happening it's emerging yeah there's more and more interest in it there's a lot of different examples chrysalis is one of the oldest examples um, in the city um, and it's very exciting. And my what I see as our job at the Salmon is to bring education um, of this to donors so that they can see firsthand that this is investing your philanthropic dollars to really make a difference, to really change um, societal needs where it's not as a traditional approach of meeting immediate needs, but it, you're investing in an individual, in empowerment, and in invest, investing in sustainability. Right, and the social enterprise is like a business. It gives people jobs. Yeah. It generates money. The money goes back into the nonprofit yes. and helps build it along with the charitable donations. Yes, exactly. Yeah. What a cool process! And yeah. it's so interesting that here you were working in that arena twenty I know. years ago. <laughs> I know, and then it's come I, full circle. I know it's, that it's now coming about in yeah. the U.S. Thank goodness. I know, and it finally people. People are yeah. seeing that there's a different way to give, you know, yeah. and not only to give, but we have some amazing people on the ground that are coming up with these fantastic ideas like LA yeah. Kitchen and Peace That's what by happens Peace. when you get a lot of uh, smart women together. Yes. You know? Yeah. And I, just on the, on the note of women, I just want to say that I couldn't do any of this without the women and the members in our, in our Giving Circle and right. the SAM Initiative who um, donate not only their dollars and their time, but we are doing this collaboratively and that I really believe is the key is the collaboration um, of us. Of yeah, I mean, I feel like that's what you're all about. Yeah. Is yeah. You, you, you bring people together to make wonderful things happen yeah. for those that need it. So more power to you. Thank you're doing you. a wonderful job. Keep thank doing you. the great work. And thank, thank you. you for being on today. I hope people go, go to uh, the SAM Initiative. And uh, we will be right back with uh, Michelle Basso. Thank you so much, Mindy. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine. The Live, Love, Thrive radio show is produced by 360karma.com. Are you a 360 Karma woman? If so, spread the word. Be sure to follow us on social media at 360 Karma Women on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please like us and share us with family and friends. This is the year of the woman, and we are stronger together. The Live, Love, Thrive program is brought to you in part by Honda of downtown Los Angeles, supporting the equality and empowerment of women. And we are back with Michelle Basso. 
Hi, Michelle. Hi, How Catherine. are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? Uh, I heard that uh, ever since you joined uh, UCLA staff, it's never been the same. <laughs> That's very true. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just making that up, but I can only imagine. Uh, they can't have enough bright women. Oh, that's very kind of you. Um, Thank you. So I know you are a scientist, which mm-hmm. I just love because I haven't had a scientist on my show yet. <laughs> and you're a professor of uh-huh. uh, psychiatry and neuro- neuroscience. Neurobiology. Yeah. Neurobiology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, also a speaker. So yeah. <laughs> I'm so happy to have you on today. Thank you so much. You know, um, I want to talk about what led you to do what you do? Because uh, it's always fascinating, you know, like how does someone get into neuroscience mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. be a professor of uh, psychology and neurobiology? Yeah, hey, yeah. I got that right. Yeah, right. Um, so, you know, what was the path to that? I know you told me uh, you grew up um, with your dad working at IBM. Yep. And, mm-hmm, and tell mm-hmm. me a little bit about how that kind of shaped your future. Yeah, um, that's a good question. I think that um, I was very much influenced by my father's interest in uh, hardware. At the time, Mm -hmm. uh, it was the early 70s, I guess, and he was a a hardware engineer for Mm -hmm. for IBM. Yeah. And um, he just liked gadgets. You know, he liked um, transistor radios. He was always taking them apart, putting them together, attempting to put them back together. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I just loved that. You know, I loved uh, toying around with those things. So I've always had that um, sort of, I guess, inquisitiveness about how stuff works. Right. Um, And so that was probably the the genesis of that uh, interest. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Everybody wants to walk in mom or dad's yeah, shoes, exactly. especially yeah. when they're a kid. Right. And, right. And so he yeah. used to take you to work yeah, with him. He did. He did. Yeah. yeah. And that was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. He called. He called IBM uh, itty bitty machines. You know, uh-huh. then, because they were so gargantuan. So yeah, yeah. Exactly. You saw hidden figures. I yeah. guess at this the movie. Yeah. So, so you and your dad were very tight. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And then I know you shared a very intimate story <laughs> with me that uh, you lost your dad at ten, mm-hmm. ten years old, mm-hmm. uh, to suicide. Yeah. And. Um, I can only imagine how traumatic that is for a child, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, but I think the good thing that came out of it is mm-hmm. that, um, as most tragedies do, um, I wouldn't be surprised. I was thinking about this that uh, I would think that your interest in neuroscience mm-hmm. might be related to wondering what would uh, make someone think the way they think to mm-hmm. um, have a suicidal situation and mm-hmm. I would think as a as a kid that would plant in me very early to think I'd like to study and know more about that I mm-hmm. you think there's a correlation it's, it's a great point um, yeah. if, if there is it was entirely unconscious right yeah. totally totally unconscious <laughs> yeah, I think um, as many things are for sure yeah but I, I was I, just I, thinking about mm-hmm. hmm, interesting that you went into neuroscience yeah, right. why don't I study breast cancer for right. example right right yeah, exactly. uh, you know as right. a scientist don't, researcher don't have experience with that it right doesn't run in my family or yeah so that's it's probably true it's yeah probably very true I um, think because when um our parents have various things like my parents had cancer and uh, I think we do tend to want to put a focus on Mm -hmm. you know oh what's the solution to that how could we ever do Mm -hmm. research to find Mm -hmm. how to prevent these things right Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. I I was just thinking how that would seem like a a normal thing for you to gravitate to quite possibly and then I know um, oddly enough here you are researching about uh, at in the labs at mm-hmm. UCLA about um, things like how people uh, people with Parkinson's mm-hmm. um, how they uh, 
you know, manifest different things that mm-hmm. um, you're studying. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the odd coincidence is that your brother ended mm-hmm. up with something similar. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, you have to remind me the name of it. So, yeah, so yeah. my um, research focus is on Parkinson's disease, how mm-hmm. the how the brain controls how we move mm-hmm. uh, and how it goes bad in diseases. Right. And um, there's another disease that involves the same region of the brain that goes bad in Parkinson's disease. Mm-hmm. It's much rarer than, than Parkinson's disease, and it's called dystonia. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a disorder of movement that is um, characterized by... Uh, sustained muscle contractions. Mm. So um, patients often have uh, very contorted postures uh, Mm -hmm. because different muscle groups are active at the same time and they're active like spasms. Right. Um, um, And so, yeah, just recently uh, we learned that my brother, in fact, has um, what's called segmental dystonia. So Mm -hmm. it affects his neck uh, and his his torso. and uh, yeah, it's a very it's a very rare disease, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's been quite debilitating for him. So um, the work that you're doing, the research, could help people with that or Parkinson's. That's that's, that's our the goal. Hope. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. That's yeah. our hope. That, so what kind it. of studies do you do to um, to test these things that would help? these people so let's say if our listeners know someone that has this type of thing Mm -hmm. you know what type of research are you guys doing to try to help people sure yeah so I think um, this is an important point and one that I would I'd like to emphasize to to your listeners that often uh, the way science works is in in very slow steps Mm -hmm. Um, so the kinds of experiments that we do in the laboratory right now it, there may not be an obvious translation mm-hmm. to a patient in the clinic, right? Um, but the knowledge base that we're developing, that mm-hmm. we're learning, mm-hmm. we hope one day uh, right. will lead to some perhaps better treatments, right? Uh, and even possibly um, earlier diagnosis. Well, what I found fascinating so. is that you said that sometimes it's research that was done yeah. ten or twenty years ago, exactly. With something you're doing today mm-hmm. that creates the uh, 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 collective information that's the epiphany of of something that can make a difference. Exactly. Yeah. And so, like you're saying, it may not be exactly that one thing you're doing in research uh, in the lab at that mm-hmm. moment, mm-hmm. but using that in conjunction with other findings over the past decades. Exactly. For instance, uh, you were telling me about uh, the the lazy eye yes, syndrome. Yes. Mm-hmm. If you'd like to explain. Yeah, sure. That'd be great. Yeah. So, uh, many years ago now, back in the back in the '60s, early and late '60s, um, two investigators from Harvard named Hubel and Weasel were doing very fundamental scientific experiments Mm -hmm. uh, using animals to try to understand how the brain encodes information about vision, about Mm -hmm. what we see. Right. And they discovered a whole variety of things that were okay, interesting, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, And actually, ultimately, in 1980, they won the Nobel Prize in Physiology and Medicine for this work. Wow. But the um, interest in the work was 
just knowledge, you know, fundamental right. knowledge. You know, what got them out of bed in the morning was trying to understand how it works. You right. Know, how does that? How does it happen? How do we right. see? Yeah, it is fascinating, um, it, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, their interest was not in anything translational. It was not uh, anything to help people, but just to gain fundamental knowledge with right. the hope that one day in the future it yeah. will lead to something. Right. Well, as it turns out, it did lead to something. So. Yeah. Um, children um, are often, not often, but in some cases, born with one eye that sees less well than, than the other. Right. It's a condition called amblyopia right. uh, or lazy eye. Right. Uh, and it turns out that based on the work done by Hubel and Weasel back in the 60s, yeah. uh, the mainstay of treatment for kids with, with lazy eye was to patch the good eye right? right. in an effort to get the bad eye strengthen. to strengthen it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and they so, learned that from doing it on animals where they would cover one eye, they'd cover the other exactly, eye. Exactly, exactly. And then, or, or yeah. Essentially deprive one eye from good right. visual visual stimulation, and they learned that there was a competition between the two eyes. That's interesting. So, in the brain, anyway. It's kind of like, eyes. I guess, our glasses today when we, mm -hmm. uh, you know, sometimes yeah. they'll give you a little lesser Different, strength to try yeah. to strengthen your exactly. eye, yes, right? right. It's similar, similar. Yeah. 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 But all that so. research probably lends itself to mm -hmm. even, you know, uh, understandings like that for uh, you, opticians or whatever. Exactly. You, yeah. It was one of those things that they just did because they were interested in knowing how it worked. Right. And it turns out you know, 20, 30 years later, it has a, a clinical relevance. So, so, so it's hard to say right, right now what this thing is going to lead to. But right. It will lead to something, right? Uh, for sure. So mm -hmm. you all write uh, <clears throat> papers on your findings, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then you travel around the world mm -hmm. and speak at various places, mm -hmm. telling them about your findings. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And so, mm -hmm. is that the way it works? Is that everybody's getting up, sharing their findings to see what links there are? Is that the purpose of it? It, it depends on yeah. the forum. So yeah. we have conferences yeah. uh, where there are many people um, mm -hmm. presenting their individual work. Tell me the truth and, now. Yeah. A conference full of scientists. <laughs> yeah. That's so, got to be pretty interesting. So it's, it, it's very funny. It, um, there are. Is uh, it boring? At, at the society. <laughs> <laughs> For me, no, but uh, but uh, I I'd be glazed be, over, yeah. right? <laughs> yes. It's very funny though. the The Society for Neuroscience is yeah. uh, a um, you know thirty thousand plus member meeting um, is held every year, uh, and and often it's held in New Orleans, and uh, it is very funny to see. Uh, 15,000 or so neuroscientists walking down Bourbon Street. Would you Street say 15,000 nerds? No, yes, that too. Yes, right. <laughs> it is a sight to see. Yeah. I bet it's fun. Yes, yeah. It, yeah. it is fun, yeah. yeah. When you go to those uh, conventions, conferences, mm -hmm. Do you, what do you learn from that? Like what kind of, inf oh, you learn about yeah. all the different breakthroughs and findings? That would be fascinating. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. That, um, often I take the opportunity to go to um, symposia and talks that are outside of my immediate field mm -hmm. in the hope that I could learn something new. You right. know, that's the other thing that I enjoy about those conferences. Right. And also, in truth, it's a, it's a networking uh, opportunity. And I think this is something particularly important for, for women who right. may uh, struggle with that uh, extroversion a little yeah. bit. Right, um, But right. it's a great opportunity um, to, to network with them. Um, where, where did you study your undergrad and your uh, 
PhD and yeah, all that. Yeah, yeah. sure. I did uh, my undergraduate degree at Fairfield University in Connecticut, which is uh, where I grew up. Right, right. And uh, then I did a, uh, my master's and PhD degree uh, at Stony Brook University in Long Island, in which New was York. not too far from, yeah. from my home where I grew up. Uh, and then after that, I went to Washington, D.C., or Bethesda, Maryland, actually, uh, and I did a postdoctoral fellowship uh, for about five and a half years at the National Institutes of Health. Wow. Um, yeah, that so must I was have been there. amazing. Uh, it was wonderful, yeah. yeah. It was a very, very formative Probably experience. no training yeah. like that. It's Yeah, it was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Now, they're in danger of funding right now, right? Um, with the new administration, it's unclear yeah, right. uh, what will happen. Right. Um, now, to, because to the work you do yeah. depends on grants from them, right? To critically, yes. Yeah, which critically. is government grants. Yes. Yeah. And so government grants are very instrumental in uh, findings that will help elongate life and make mm -hmm. our lives more um, healthy and um just longer, healthier lives. Exactly. Because the work you're doing ultimately could lead to helping people find out uh, how, to, how to help Alzheimer's, right? Uh, Which is like yeah. the most prevalent mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, growing disease mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. for baby boomers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if the government doesn't give the grants for this <laughs> research, then obviously yes. there's no way we're going to be That's improving right. that situation. That's and right. so listeners need to be cognizant of this yes. as they uh, voice their opinion and their activism yeah. about how important it is for the government to fund this research. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? Yes. Yeah. It is the, the lifeblood of innovation and medical advances. Right. And yeah, that's correct. What about um, things like, uh, are there any inroads? Do you know of any inroads you could share with us about Alzheimer's? Um, it's it's not my um, area. area of expertise, right? Um, but I know that's like such a booming it, it, problem. It, it, yeah, there's yeah. about 11%, um, I guess, of the population over 65 or so will likely um, develop Alzheimer's. So it's, wow. um, it's pretty common. Yeah. Wow. Um, so yeah, uh, there's a lot of effort on trying to discover a biomarker, try, uh, and that is uh, essentially a, a non-invasive way of determining whether someone has Alzheimer's disease. Right. Um, and there are very various proteins that are involved that um, accumulate in the brain in different mm -hmm. regions of the brain right. and cause uh, brain cells known as neurons to, to die, and that's essentially what Alzheimer's is. Right. And so there's a large effort to um, develop imaging tools like magnetic mm -hmm. resonance imaging, uh, mm -hmm. PET scanning, those mm -hmm. kinds of imaging so tools. So we can detect it earlier, exactly. right? Yes, right. exactly. That is the right. issue, isn't it? Because if we do detect that earlier, too, then we yeah. could help prevent it, at least the, the rap rapidness of it yeah right? and that this is yeah. true for all diseases that involve neurodegeneration like parkinson's let and me alzheimer's. ask you this yeah. as a scientist do you believe that parkinson's alzheimer's all these things do you think they're connected to what we eat or environmental chemicals around us mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i think both diseases have a genetic component mm -hmm. uh, there's definitely a genetic component but it's not uh, what we call a hundred percent penetrance so if your parents have it you have a 50 percent chance of getting it uh, mm -hmm. it's not like that mm -hmm. uh, there are some diseases that are like that right like cystic fibrosis and other huntington 
Parkinson's disease, for example. Right. But Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease are not like that. Oh. So it clearly involves uh, other things, um, mm. not just uh, genetics. Uh, and what those other things are, we still don't know. That's um, the big question. That's the $64 million question. But it is possible, yes, that it could be food we're ingesting or chemicals in our environment? Um, I think there's some evidence for a chemical involvement in Parkinson's disease. Mm -hmm. um, there are certain um, environmental pesticides that have been used um, in the past that have been associated with higher incidence of Parkinson's disease. Wow. Um, I don't believe there's any evidence for that in Alzheimer's disease right. uh, at this point. Um, there is a large new effort in scientific invest investigation to look at the what's called the microbiome. It's um, gut and brain interaction. So right. presumably that will tell us something about things that we eat, things that we ingest. Right. Um, but as of now, there's no, as far as I know, there's no evidence uh, for that. Right. Yeah. So they have to they have to prove that. But people yeah. do do. Th I think, you know, I I have friends that have had like multiple sclerosis. Mm -hmm. I think, mm -hmm. you know, I've had Amber Rock on, mm -hmm. uh, who mm -hmm. healed herself holistically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've had other friends uh, heal themselves holistically yeah. from various things mm -hmm. uh, by eating differently. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, other things like, I guess, spiritual practices that sure. eliminate stress. Absolutely. And That's a I, huge, I mean, I definitely yeah. think stress mm -hmm. lends itself to mm -hmm. these diseases. Yeah, I think it's a very um, interesting uh, direction. And, yeah, yeah. Thing that we should be thinking about, you know. Right. Our, so our I wasn't sure if, as a scientist, you would advocate for that or not. Um, I haven't seen the evidence yet. Yeah. So I, I uh, tend to believe things that I see data right. for. Um, right. If, if I don't have the data, if the data is But don't you there, think, I though, sometimes people, like, They've changed their eating habit, their mm -hmm. routine, their uh, stress. For sure. They that seem helps. to be better or mm -hmm. heal. And so you have to kind of look at it and say, well, there must be some correlation. Yeah, there certainly are yeah. anecdotal pieces of evidence yeah. for one or two people for whom this has helped. But right. statistically speaking, um, yeah. it's it's hard to It's hard to measure. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. yeah. Because the, uh, the majority still... Um, Take the traditional path, yeah. and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah, yeah right. So, right. Uh, what about? I, I know you had shared with me you thought maybe your dad had bipolar disorder. That's what I think. Yeah. So, circling back mm -hmm. to that, mm -hmm. um, when people have something like that in their family, mm -hmm. I would think you know mm -hmm. they they sure. must be afraid. Oh, what if I have that? Right. Or yeah. and sure. and is that type of thing hereditary? Uh, there is a genetic component to it. Uh, right. Again, it's not, as we say, 100% penetrant, so there's no right. guarantee that, that right. you will have it. Could you do one of these it? scans, the PET scan or whatever, oh, wouldn't and find that be out nice? It? Wouldn't that be nice? Oh, uh, but, you can't. But no, you can't. But can't you <laughs> no do such. that? Is it yeah. there, aren't there some scans they can do to tell you if you're more likely to get like Alzheimer's or something. I've heard yeah, that's this. What the, that, that was the bar, biomarker idea. You know, oh, that's what right, people right, are right. working on, you know, to try to develop uh, non-invasive measures to take a picture of your brain and say, yeah, right. look, you have this. So they um, say they can do that now. Can mm -hmm. they? Um, for certain aspects of the disease, yeah, but mm. and certainly not for psychiatric disease. Uh, right. Oh, but not for yeah. bipolar or no, something like no, that. No. Those are psychiatric diseases. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you and I had this conversation about mm -hmm. it. it is a disease. Like when I, we were talking about your dad's suicide, mm -hmm. it wasn't, you know, I, I had said, oh, 
you know, it must be difficult because it feels like a choice. Yeah. And then you corrected me, and I agree with you that it's not a choice because it's a disease. Correct. Yeah. It's just like diabetes, just right. like cancer. Right. You know, mental illness is and a I disease. Had, yeah. And that, that's something that, um, needless to say, is very near and dear to my heart. Of course. You know, the, the stigma associated with mental illness. Right. Many people still believe it is... Uh, you can will yourself out of this, you know, right. depression, for depression. example. Yeah, right? yeah. oh, yeah. cheer I mean, up. These things, and, right, yeah. you know, these are not yeah. Because um, we don't willable. understand what we don't Correct. know or feel. Correct, yes. But, and I it, mean, that goes for anything, being gay or exactly. being, you exactly. know, whatever. whatever. You, you know, people don't relate to things unless they stand in those it, shoes. It affects them personally, so, yes. Speaking right. of that, yeah. uh, so your family's always been supportive of you mm-hmm. and your wife? Mm-hmm. Yes, That's very much great. so. Yes. That's great. Yes, very much In so. this uh, yes. day and age, it's nice to know mm-hmm. you have that mm-hmm. support. Have you seen yeah. that show Rise Up last night? I did yeah. not. No. Yeah. Oh, sure. yeah, yeah. It's a it's great, great new show mm-hmm. that's uh, kind of capturing the moment of what's going on in the world in the past few decades and, mm-hmm. and today mm-hmm. and how um, – there's still a need for activism, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, I know you guys got married when a year ago, the, uh, almost the day after Prop 8 was overturned. Oh, yeah. so, <laughs> yes. so yeah, yeah so. It, it will be interesting to see in this administration if um, if they roll that back. Yeah. I know uh, yeah. Yeah. a lot it's, of my it's, it's friends in the gay community mm-hmm. seem to be concerned about that, mm-hmm. um, but. As a married couple, you don't have to worry about that because well, I hope not. Yeah, yeah, because they can't roll back. They have to grandfather in people that are married, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I would think. I'm not. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's a little but scary. But I, I hope yeah. you know. I hope that that doesn't occur. Obviously, you mm-hmm. know, I did the first film about gay marriage. Mm-hmm. I can't yes, marry right, you, so right. it's always been very near and Beautiful. dear to my heart sure. that. Uh, everyone should have the right to love the person they love mm-hmm. and to get married. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and your mm-hmm. wife is so lovely. Mm-hmm. You guys Thank are you. such an awesome yes. couple. <laughs> Thank you. She too at UCLA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so nice you guys get to work yeah, together, yeah. so commute, to speak. We commute in together. It's yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. Very Different nice. departments, yes, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, what's the future for you? What, what, like, what, what's, what is it that you would like to? leave as your legacy, Michelle, because mm. you're doing really important work. What what would be your dream goal? Wow. I don't think I've ever been asked that, and I can't say I've really thought <laughs> very deeply about that. I suppose I, I should. Yeah. Um, I mean, it would definitely yeah, be cool I mean, to I, find the cure for, uh, for sure, right. Parkinson's for sh- and other neuroscience for sure. yeah, it's, issues. It's unlikely yeah. we'll do that. Yeah. Um, I, I guess hey, I, you, never like, you never know. You never you know. know. You never know. You never know. You could be the it's one, true. baby. It's true. <laughs> yes, it's could true. be a Nobel Peace Prize on the horizon. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? Why not? Um, yeah, I think I'd like to be remembered, as it were, um, as having done good, solid work, you know, as yeah. having contributed uh, to the body of knowledge that yeah. um, leads to what we know about the brain. Um, well, it's so nice because uh, what you're doing is making such a difference. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it must feel good to go to work every day and know yeah. that you're working towards something mm-hmm. really important yeah. that's making a difference. Yeah. It's not like you're yeah. flipping hamburgers. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah. nothing wrong <laughs> with that. that just, nothing wrong right. with that because right. we all got to eat. But I'm yeah. just saying every day you're making a difference. Yeah. And isn't it nice that you get to do every day what you love? It's amazing. I'm yeah. so grateful yeah. and so fortunate. And as a professor. Uh, I recognize that that's a privilege, yes. It, it is. It is, yes. It's a it's mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and and 
uh, you also, besides doing the lab research, mm-hmm. you train other yeah, students, yeah. right? Because you're a professor. Right. So that's that's one of the other things that I feel good about. As I get older, this yeah. is more uh, more present for me. It's um, my role as a as a role model for for young girls who yeah. are in, particularly who right. are interested in pursuing careers in science. Right. What's the percentage of women very few? Sci- very few. Yeah, very few. And and the yeah. sad part. You're is not the that only one, are you? No. <laughs> um, I can still go to meetings and, and be, be the, the only, only woman one? in the room. Oh yes. my gosh! Yeah, which is you know, I say that every week. Yeah. Every single industry, we yeah. need more women at the yeah. at the mm-hmm. decision making right. table, the in the and the table of influence. Because right. if look how many women could be in that position, exactly. bringing yes. something smart to mm-hmm. the table, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they're not having that opportunity. Right. How right. do we get more women into Just science? A, a bringing a different perspective, right? We know yeah. diversity makes things better, right? Right, uh, right. Yeah. Yeah, and I hope right. that uh, this interview helps inspire uh, listeners, young listeners, so. to yeah. uh, say, you know, I would like to be a yeah, scientist. And, right. it, you know, that it's a real job and mm-hmm. it, it's a really important job yeah. mm-hmm. and that anything is doable. Absolutely. You know, we've Absolutely. got to start giving uh Young girls in this uh, in this world, I was going to mm-hmm. say in this country, but yeah, in this but world, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, the idea that they can do anything. Absolutely. And, mm-hmm. and that would mean even being a scientist. Exactly. So <laughs> yeah. you are definitely a yeah. great role model Thank for you. young women and all of us women. And mm-hmm. I love the work you're doing. Thank I so appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for sharing it with us today. Thanks for having and, me. And yeah. uh, just keep yeah. making an incredible difference. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. And we will be back next week. uh, Same time, same UBN channel. Um, Thanks for tuning in and uh, just make it a great week. Hugs and happiness.